Hey everyone, it's podcast time. This is Justin Stapleton. I'm your host of the soon-to-be-named podcast. I have an enormously special guest today. And for those of you that have been listening to the podcast here, you know we uh, this is a podcast for guys. We're going to talk about uh, guy things. We're going to take a little bit of a different turn on it today, though. Uh, we have with us Jan Hargrave. She is a body language expert. And you say to yourself, self, what is a body language expert? Nonverbal communication. That's one of those bogus words that we use a lot. Uh, Jan, thanks for being here today. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Tell everybody what that means. One of those jobs that if you if you sell people that at a party, they probably are going to go, what? Wow. What or they do? say, I don't like to talk with you because I think you know what I'm thinking. So Are you staring at me right on? Right, but I do use it uh, too much sometimes. I mean, I do try to listen to the message that someone's telling me, but you almost cannot help but watch how their arms are crossed or how they're using their hands or do they touch their face that much. So as a body language expert, what I do is that I study every way that a person moves or crosses his arms, crosses his legs, uh, even the tilts of the head, and then I analyze that and tell you what that person is thinking in their head. So basically what you're saying is, is the cues we give off right. by our body language itself sometimes can either corroborate what we're saying correct or can be in conflict in what we're saying correct and that's what your analysis is as a professional of course and you know you've heard that old saying actions speak louder than words yes so we say many many things with our bodies that sometimes we don't even want people to recognize you know we may be feeling a certain thing but we don't want like we may be frightened but we never would think that we would be putting out that kind of body language but if someone has studied nonverbal communication enough they would know. It's micro-expressions. It might be something they do with their eyes. So all of that gives you some background information. It's almost as though you learn another language when you know it because, you know, you speak English and French and, and German, but why not understand body language? And speak body as well at this point. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'll even give you the percentages because that might be interesting for the listeners to know. 55% of our communication is nonverbal. So the first time that someone sees you, they decide immediately, do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Do I want to have that conversation with them? 38% of a person's communication is just voice inflection. As our voices go up or down, it, it increases other people's level of wanting to listen to us if our voice sounds excited or in, compared to a monotone. And only 7% of a, a person's actual communication does come from the words that they say. That's, that's remarkable uh -huh. at that point. If you yeah. put those numbers together, how much... It, it, it goes back to when you had mentioned that a second ago. It made me think of the old saying, you know, first impressions yes. are the most important. And yes. that kind of goes with what you're saying here as well, right? That you almost never get a second chance to make a first impression because the moment that someone sees you, something is embedded in their mind. And right away, they'll kind of judge you. Maybe they'll see if you're neatly dressed. They'll see how like you... Sizing you up, basically. Yes, and they'll see how you uh, shook their hand. So, and, and often it is very difficult to change that first impression connotation that you have in your head because right away you say, oh, I like them, or they seem nice, or they seem interesting, or they seem intelligent. And it, it will take you a lot of work with that person to change that first impression. Yeah, it's, it's incredible to know. And, and this is something that people have studied for decades years. and years and centuries they may not have known that it was necessarily you know learning the art of nonverbal communication but something that even before human beings if we go way back when right. before we had 
you know, the ability to sort of talk to each other, mm -hmm. that nonverbal communication was the way that most people communicated. Correct. Most and, animals. And, and when, yes, it started off with animal studies and a dog maybe tilting a head gives you a message, the same message that a person tilting his head would. So, yes, all of that. One of the very first body language researchers was uh, Dr. Julius Fast, wonderful um, researcher, wrote books also on body language. And I think when I first started researching that in college, that's who I first studied. And then from there, took all of that information and ended up, you know, researching it and writing books and then now speak on it. And, you know, when you learn the language of body language, it's that every different motion almost makes up a word. So, so to kind of explain it to you this way, when we form a sentence, a sentence is made up of several words together. So when I show you a gesture, maybe I would put the tips of my fingers together. This is confidence. When the tips of my fingers are together, it's called a steeple gesture. But to get the true meaning of a gesture as you're watching someone give you that gesture, you have to put it in connotation to the other words surrounding it. Because, you know, you will see a person do the gesture and you think, well, wow, they look really confident. But you have to immediately try to remember what kinds of gestures they used preceding that word to give you the exact definition of that word. So that's why I say it's like another language. Yeah, so it's not only understanding what you're seeing, but right. what you're hearing as well. And putting all of these gestures together. Because when you and I sit, you don't just do a steeple right away. You do some gestures prior to it, and then you'll also do some after it. So if I were having a negotiation with you, the way that I would do it, you know, I would look at your hands and maybe you're steepling. So I would think, well, I guess this person feels confident with what I'm saying. Maybe they will go along with what I have just proposed. But to get the true meaning of that gesture you just showed me, I'd have to think what kinds of gestures did Justin do prior to this. And maybe I recall you gave me several positive gestures prior to steepling, gave me good continuous eye contact. That's positive. Your body started leaning forward. That's positive. And then would have done the steeple gesture. In this series of three, it would let me know that you feel highly confident with what I'm saying and probably will go along with what I have just proposed. The opposite of that would be, I would notice that you did the steeple gesture and now I'm thinking, okay, what types of gestures did you do prior? And maybe I recall that you gave me several negative gestures the second time before steepling. Perhaps you kept looking at your watch while we were talking. Like a that's distraction correct, almost. Correct. And that's pretty negative. Maybe you crossed your arms that I could not see your hands. That's really negative, And then would have done the steeple gesture. In this example, it would let me know that you feel very confident in telling me no and will not go along with what I have just proposed. So it's more than just reading body language is mm -hmm. what you're saying. So, so let's use an example with this here. So if a guy goes into a, let's say goes into his boss's office, thinking he has an idea of a new project or something like that. What does he kind of need to watch for? I mean, obviously you need to go in there and you need to, you can't just walk in there and say, all right, well, I'm going to pick up these cues and then that'll let me know if I can give this yes. presentation. You have to sort of present that first, but there's also things that you're watching for while you're interacting with someone. Of course. I mean, probably the moment that he comes in, and that's a different example from someone who would come in for a job interview because probably an example that you're giving me, he wouldn't have to shake the person's hand. Is that correct? Right. He would just come in to do the presentation. Sure. So if he came into the room and, and was trying to watch the body language of the person listening to the presentation, perhaps he would want to notice, does that person remain behind his desk or does he get away from behind the desk and actually sit in a chair that there's nothing that's a barrier between me and him? 
does he he give me some nonverbals as I talk with him? Does he nod his head up and down? Does he smile back at me maybe when I say something that's kind of funny? Because you're looking for a lot of mirroring and matching gestures to yours. If you're enthusiastic about something, you definitely want that other person to be that enthusiastic about it too. I would definitely watch for, for that coming up from behind the desk. Making leaning forward is a sign of interest. So if he's leaning forward compared to someone just casually leaning back, another one thing I would never want to see with someone watching me present would be to have his hands behind his head clasped and just leaning backward. And that is um, it's pretty aggressive. It's a sign of confidence, but it's too confident. What you have just described was my old boss. Oh, okay. To a T. Okay. Every time I walked into it, hopefully he's not listening to this oh, right he, now. Uh, every time I went into his office, he would start with a, and oh, then yes. he'd sit back and his Power hands language. would immediately go uh -huh. right behind and his head. Equivalent to that with your hands behind your head is having your feet up on the desk. So it, it's uh, it's almost, if, if I were being interviewed and saw a man do these two gestures to me, it would really make me feel uneasy because the two gestures combined do give a dual message that says, I think I'm better than you. So it's 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 and not my a time good, is more important than your correct time. yeah correct. So I would definitely suggest to a man if he came in there and you saw someone do that gesture. But you can break negative gestures if you see them. If you understand some things about body language, to break someone from doing the you know clasping the hands behind the head, I would definitely try to put something in their hands, whether it's a pamphlet or a cup of coffee. Because what happens if that is that if I have to release my arms and uh, and accept something from you. I would have to uncross my arms. And it does say in body language, and I would have to release that, that motion, it does say that the more open the upper part of a person's body is, the more receptive their mind is to taking in and taking in someone's information. Now, would you call that almost, and, and I may be overstepping this some, but would you call that kind of a transfer of power to some degree? Whereas Exactly, exactly, so yes. So sort of explain, because I know that, you know, not everybody goes into interviews, for example, we use that, or even going in to talk to your boss. Um, everybody's personalities are different. You may have a boss that is a little more intimidating than others, uh -huh. but there's ways, and I think I remember on listening to you on some of the other uh, uh, newscasts that we've had here as well at uh, KPRC, um, that there are ways to kind of transfer some of that power back to you as well so that it, you can create a little more balance when you're talking with someone. Yeah, and that's what you want to create because even with the handshake, a vertical handshake would say you and I have equal opportunity to speak. A handshake where the hand is facing downward says that you want to take the power in the conversation. A handshake where it's up is a little bit more submissiveness. So anytime that you have some kind of a meeting with someone or a negotiation opportunity with them, you must make it on an even even feel so that both of you can give information that's going on. You never want someone to overpower what, what you're trying to, to uh, emit. Another thing, too, that's interesting is that mass and size are equivalent to size of power that a person thinks he has. So oftentimes a man will or a man will come into a room and sit down and a man can sit in a chair and put his arms on the chairs on the side of him and no one thinks ill of that. But what he's giving as a message by just simply doing that, by saying, I need all this space because I'm the one in charge of this room. So sometimes when I work with ladies and help them to get negotiating skills, I tell them and make them see the example. A woman gets into a meeting room sometimes and gets really non 
confrontational. She will cross her legs and cross her arms and stays very small. Stays very and, compact and tight. Right. And when you stay that way, that's when people feel that they can pounce upon you and that they can take charge of that conversation. So I always tell people, even if you don't want to make your body look bigger, you could spread your books out a little bit further just to give the aura that... Create some territory. Yeah, I need all this space and because I'm the one in charge. And so I try to help people understand, just put your shoulders back and you can bring people into your conversation by even motioning your hands coming towards you. You can shove them away from you by moving your motions, you know, going away from your body too. So sticking with the meeting theme for a second, because this is... Uh, a trick I used to do when I taught my psychology classes okay. is I would let the students come in the first couple weeks. And, and inevitably, and you know this, and, and for those of you listening at home, you've probably done this without even thinking about it. Think about the next time that you go to a meeting at work. Everyone generally sits in the same seat every single time because it's a right. level of comfort. What I used to do is I would wait for about uh, three weeks, four weeks, and then I would have the students come in and I would have assigned seating. Okay. And I would change where they were. Mm -hmm. And I would do that for about two weeks. And I wouldn't tell them why. I would just do it. And then afterwards, we would have a discussion about, you know, the social psychology aspect of that, mm -hmm. about being uncomfortable and being in a spot because mm -hmm. someone else is in your spot. And that's my spot as well. And you've talked on that about uh, strategizing where you sit in meetings and conference yeah. rooms. When you were saying that, it makes me think of when we go to church. You know, you have a certain pew you want to sit in, and if you go to that pew and someone's in there, you're thinking, wow, that's my pew. We're a lot of sorts. Yes, we are territorial, and even if someone is a salesperson and calls on someone at their home, and by accident they would sit in that homeowner's chair, it would make the homeowner feel really uncomfortable and probably not like the person who's visiting them that day. But yes, we, we, we um, let other people know. We broadcast almost how much... Uh, how much space and how much power we think we need by the size of space we take up when we're seated with them or when we're meeting with someone. But yeah, we do get we do get very comfortable in the places that are our own places. So territorial question, is what it is. Yes, and so okay. So here's a question I always thought was kind of interesting: that when you see a conference room, or let's even use a couple of days ago, uh, the President of the United States, President Trump, had his first full cabinet meeting. Yes, and the president always sits in the middle of the table. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you watch movies, old TV shows, or this and that, you always have the CEO, the chairman of the board, or whatnot, always sits at the head of the table. Yeah, what's the difference between the two? Well, I just find that when we studied, you know, positioning at tables. It, when it's that way, and it's always been that way, I think, for our presidents, that they do sit at this table and then from them, you know, from the sides of Extends them. Extends out. And what happens is, if I remember correctly from the research, the person who is next in power or the, the person of highest rank besides the president does sit on his right-hand side. I don't know. I didn't look to see who was seated there. And the person's left-hand side is someone probably right next to in power of that person that's on his right when, when you know you, when you go to restaurants too, you always think the person who's going to be sitting at the head of the table is going to pay the bill. So maybe he doesn't want to sit at the head of the table because he doesn't want to pay the bill. <laughs> yeah, but you you just I mean that's common. I I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. It is common because that way he has control over everyone and he has his eyes on everyone. Perhaps everyone better than if he was at the head of that table. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Again, 
If you're uh, just joining us, uh, we are here with Jan Hargrave. She is a forensic body what, forensic body specialist. Can Bo we say oh, that? Body language. A body language. I could be a body specialist, specialist though, huh? You definitely could. Body language. Might get you in trouble in some spots. But. I know, but I'd like it. I think. Yeah, well, she is a uh, master of nonverbal communication, uh, and we have been discussing uh, what people run into in not only interactions from a day to day. Uh, potential with other individuals, but also just positioning too, Jan. One of the things that you do in some of your books uh, in particular is talking about, you know, stances and right. domineering versus more submissive stances. Right. Even when that. you were saying that, it made me even think of this. Even the size of the chair's back that you're sitting in can let you have more power in that room. If you and I are talking and I'm sitting in a chair that's really low and you're sitting in a chair where the chair is kind of elevated and the back is high, then you are the one in charge of that meeting. Think of how a king would have a chair and the back of that chair is even higher than that. So I was just thinking about that when you said that. But what was your other part of your question? Well, we were discussing about the, the you know, in presenting with individuals, as you and I are sitting here talking, uh, different stances as well, oh. more, more domineering versus more submissive stances. Okay, sure. Probably one of the most dominating stances that we have is when someone has both hands on the hips at the same time. And think about what's going on when someone does that. They're taking a lot of space. So the so Superman stance, basically. The Superman stance are like the woman, the little statue of the girl at, uh, in New York called Fearless, where she's standing and her arms are on the sides of her and her chin is kind of held up. The chin up a little bit is a sign of belligerence. It's like, yeah, I can get, I can do this. So oftentimes people will do that when they're agitated in a business setting, though it should not be done with both hands on the hips. That's too aggressive. If it needs to be done, it could be done with one hand on the hip for a while and then maybe bring the hand down because this is a readiness pose. It's it's uh, saying, okay, let's. I want to control this situation. I want to take the you know take the show on the road. Mm -hmm. But stances, I think, when legs are apart. At shoulder width, it's a powerful stance compared to someone who shifts their weight too much. So even as a speaker, we're trained that when our weight is evenly distributed between our two feet, our minds are working better at that moment too. So you see speakers take that stance. Hands behind the back, kind of holding each other, is a confident stance too. You think of a military stance where a man would stand and is the less fidgeting really that you do with your hands while you're speaking, the more confident you can look to another. So the less times you fix your tie, the less times you have to put your shirt in your pants, the less times you have to fool with a cufflink, the less times you feel you have to touch your hair. These are all displacement gestures. And when someone does too many displacement gestures, they either come across as nervous or sometimes as deceptive to others. So something that they may be hiding a real intention. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So uh, also, one of the important nonverbal cues with individuals that are going to be working with other individuals are, is obviously that people have different personalities. And so the personality itself is going to come out not only in the words that you mm -hmm. use, the things that you choose, but also in your gestures as well. Um, you know, I myself am a very gesture-ish mm -hmm. person. Yes, I'm I, I mean, words here. Yeah, that's, great. That, that's a great word. I'm a, it's called extroverted and introverted. There we too. go. Thank so, you. a person who's extroverted, I'm extroverted. So, my gestures tend to go away from my body, and they kind of get bigger. Someone who's an introverted person would, and it's not necessarily that one is better than the other. Their gestures tend to make, stay closer to their body. 
normally in conversations and in general, a man's gestures will tend to go away from his body and a lady's gestures tend to come towards her body. That's just a normal thing. So sometimes when a lady is leading a meeting and it's just men in the meeting room, she can take some of those exaggerated gestures to be like that man. And sometimes for a male who is leading a meeting room of just women, sometimes some of the gestures that he takes could not be as exaggerated as they are. So soften up. They could be softer. And two, you know, it's always been thought that women are better listeners than men, but women are not better listeners than men. It is only that women give more nonverbals when they are listening. A woman will nod her head a little bit. A woman may smile back at someone when they're talking. A man, for the majority of the time, stays in what we call a neutral position while he's having a conversation with someone. So sometimes a lady will have a meeting with the man and someone will say, how did the meeting go? And she'll say, I don't know, because she never got any nonverbal. So when I am training men, sometimes in negotiating skills, I say, it's okay, you can nod every now and then and you can smile every now and then. But then I also tell women, you can't nod too much because then they will think that you agree with everything that they're saying. And in our studies of head nods, Supposedly, when you nod twice, it means that you are in agreement. When you nod three times, it means that you want someone else to shut up. Tell them to hurry it up. Yeah, hurry so it's like, uh, uh, uh. Interesting. So, yeah, just the, that small thing there. And also, when talking about gender differences in communications, men do not mind having side-by-side communications with each other. Two men can sit side-by-side for an hour and talk but never even have to look at each other. Think about an airport, they're sitting there, they're talking and they talk about something else. But a lady wants to have a full face on conversation because she needs to see her eyes. Women are all about relationships. Men are about facts and statistics. So you might want to note note of that. You know, a man may be talking with a lady strictly on the side of her and that um, either can frighten her sometimes that she feels that someone's on the attack. So she has to be, or he has to be right there in front of her. It always amazes me the, the gender differences. Yeah. Um, you know, not only just in personalities, but obviously in the nonverbal communication as well. Uh, Jan, if someone wants to be better at picking up on cues, not only just uh, so that obviously they can get an advantage for a job interview, for a job yeah. or whatnot, or even in a relationship, which we'll get into in okay. a later podcast here. Sure. What are some, st- or I guess, where do they need to start? To what what, you know, what can they do to, to start getting better at picking up on some of these cues? One thing would be to watch the news without the sound on or watch part of a movie without the sound on and see how much of the body language they could pick up. You know, especially if they knew what the movie was about before and, and they would just turn that sound off and just watch the gestures. A lot of times they'll see, because movie actors are really good and they're trained in this. So if they need to be deceptive, they'll do the gestures of, of lying that some people don't even realize there are gestures of lying that people do. But if you're having the sound off and you're just watching that, then you can see who will come across as confident, who comes across as weak. And it's done when actors are trained with the correct types of body language. That would probably be the first way that I would start studying it. And then the next thing is to read. I've written five books on it. Maybe someone wants to pick up a book sometimes and just read it and study it and then put it into practice and make a conscious effort that while they're in a meeting with someone that they would look just for a few minutes and gather some of the body language they're seeing and then maybe go back in their car and say, and note, oh, he did this and he did this and he did this. And then sometimes you can go look these things up on someone's website and it will tell you exactly what that person was thinking during that meeting. 
So more study, more study than just kind of staring at somebody and seeing if they're crossing at their mm -hmm. arms, isn't it? Right, right. Excellent. Jan Hargrave, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. If uh, folks want to get more information about where you are going to be since you tour and do a lot of speaking presentations sure. as well, where can they get that my, and your books? Okay, my website is janhargrave.com, and all the books can be gotten from there, videos can be gotten from there. Um, they can follow me on my Facebook page. It's Jan L. Hargrave, and it typically will show where I am speaking in, in Houston or anywhere else in the United States, too. You can't miss her. She's got hot pink glasses. She's the best. Right. Thank you very much, Jan. Thank you. All right, next time, uh, we're going to bring Jan back in a uh, couple of weeks, and so we're going to talk some relationships as well, Jan. Before you go, Jan, I've got one final question. Though. Okay. Um, and I'm sure you probably get this a lot. How terrified are people sometimes to actually talk to you because they think that you are sizing them up four ways and something? I think maybe they are. And you know what's funny is that I can catch them when they're doing it. You know, I, I might talk with someone and then I see that they'll cross their arms and then they'll think to themselves, oh my gosh, I'm talking with Jan, so I need to put my arms down. So I get it, but I try to make them not not uncomfortable. You know, and there are shows now. I mean, we have Bull, which is, he does exactly what I do. I work in the courtroom, pick juries. And years ago, we had this show called Lie to Me, and which are both good. And, and, and I think that they're factual and I think that they are true. A lot of the research is based on one of the books that I wrote on Judge the Jury. But what I find when they use those actors to do that, the actors are too conspicuous that they're looking at you for body language traits. I don't look at people that way. I just say, yeah, how you doing? But they'll, they'll look at you up and down, and then they'll let you see them doing it. But I think maybe they're doing that just for the movie's purpose. More than likely. Excellent stuff as always. Jan, thank you so much for You're joining welcome. us today. All right, that's what we've got for the soon-to-be-named podcast for today. I'm Justin Stapleton, your host. Hope everyone has a great week. Got lots more coming up on the next podcast. Don't miss it.